most of you know, we're starting a new, uh, new sermon series, and it's going to go through the end of the year. Um, you know, and when I was thinking about it, you know, I was trying to think like, you know, why don't we talk about what we're going to talk about more in church? And, and I started to think about things that, you know, we don't always like to talk about. If you've ever been to that meeting in your business, or if you work you know, agency or something, or if you're a teacher and you're at a teacher's meeting, but you're ever at the meeting where, where the boss or the leader or whoever is starting to talk like big picture stuff, you know, big picture stuff, long term, even perhaps philosophical, well, what usually happens? Well, what usually happens to all the people there is they start thinking about lunch, or they start looking at the clock and they're like, that second hand, it's getting slower and slower and slower. And when will this be done? You know, because when we're in those meetings, the only thing we care about in those meetings is, you know, what relates to me right here, right now? And then, of course, a few months later, we'll blame the boss and say, you never tell us what's going on around here or why we're doing it. It's like, well, we tried. But it's funny because when, whenever it's, somebody talks big picture, whenever it's, somebody's talking like end game or talking about you know, the, 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 the reasons that we do what we do, we often just get that glazed look in our eyes. We're just like, okay, 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 okay get it done, move on. And sadly, as Christians, I think we do that with God. I think we do that when the Bible starts talking about God's overall plan. When it starts saying, why is God doing what he's doing? And as a result, we don't know what God's plan is. We might know a part of it. We might know the part that seems to relate to me right here, right now. That's about it. Do you know what God's plan is? Do you know what the overall plan is? Well, the title of the sermon series is Road to the Kingdom. His plan is about the kingdom. You see, when we forget the overall plan, what, is this, what does this usually result in? It usually leads to problems. The first thing is we don't even realize there's another bigger plan there. And all we think is what we're doing is all that there is or perhaps something a little bigger than what we're doing. This causes us sometimes to do the job without the right spirit. If I don't know what the plan is, I might do my part but I might do my part with the spirit that's actually contradictory to the plan. I could also get discouraged. I'm, you know, I'm doing my part, but it's hard. And it seems like, you know, there's a struggle. I'm, I maybe even feel that I'm failing. We get discouraged. And then, of course, when we finally hear the overall plan again, we can tend to devalue it 
Oh, okay, yeah, 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 whatever, that's, that's great. You know, God's got a big plan, woohoo. But let me get back to what really matters, which is me living in my day-to-day life. And I think in the church, we don't talk about God's overall plan enough. We do not talk about the kingdom nearly enough. And when people do start talking about the kingdom, again, we tend to check out. Our focus is much more on God saving me. That's what we care about. Or God saving you. Our focus is much more on, you know, how God can help my you know, crummy husband, or make that person a better person, or make my marriage better, or help my crazy kids, or, you know, help me with, you know, dealing with all the problems that I face. And we think that that's, you know, that's what Christianity is really about, that what Jesus came to do was to die on the cross so that I could have a happy life. Just saying that sounds wrong. It just feels wrong to me. That Jesus would have to die, suffer and die on a cross just so I could have a happy life. If he's the son of God, if he is the God of all creation, he could have just made me happy. Wouldn't have had to die. Just sounds wrong. And so that's why the title is Road to the Kingdom. God's plan has always been the kingdom. All of these things that we talk about, and we're going to talk about creation today, other places, we talk about salvation, we could talk about sanctification, we could talk about the church, we can talk about end times. All these things that we love to talk about are all important, they're all parts but they're not the kingdom. And if you don't understand the kingdom, you don't really understand those things and what they're for. If you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in its kingdom context, you don't really understand the gospel. It doesn't mean you won't find value in these things, but it means that you're not getting the full value And it means that you're setting yourself up for some of these problems that come when we don't understand God's plan. So we're going to start, do something a little different. We're going to start just by reading the scripture, and we're going to read in Genesis 1. And, and, you know, some people think this was actually some, at least parts of it were like a hymn. They were actually either sung or chanted in some way. And I want you, as we read it, I want us to read it together because, I mean, I don't mean for you to read with me, but I just mean, you know, listen to the whole thing together. I want you to be thinking, okay, and this is hard, you know, we're 21st century Americans, and we think like, okay, we immediately go like, well, how do you do it? And we start thinking about, Big Bang and evolution and blah, 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 all this other stuff. Let's not read it that way. Let's read it with the reason that it was written, not with the reasons that we want it to be written. Let's go and and read it 
And as I'm reading it, I want you to think about, okay, if you're an ancient Israelite, if you're an ancient Israelite and you're hearing this read, you know, you've heard, you know, this is partly came from oral tradition. You've heard stories like it, but now you're hearing it read all together. What are you thinking? And what I think what should be center in our minds as we're reading this is who is God? Who is Elohim? This story is less about creation and it's more about God. So I'm going to read and just, just listen and try to you know, be asking that question as you're listening. Who is this God? So Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Ancient Israelites hearing this, living in a time when, you know, your gods were the gods who were the gods of thunder, or they were they were, you know, the the gods of the harvest and 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 they controlled things, or sometimes there was even the sense that they were in these things. They lived in a time when, when you, know, you know, I've got my gods, you've got your gods, and sometimes they fight. And, you know, may the best God win. In this setting, in this world, the ancient Israelites hear this. Believe this. Who is God? He is, he is all powerful. Who is God? He's unlike any other conception of God. Who is God? He's good. He's loving. He's purposeful. This is, this is the picture that we get from the Bible tells us about who God is, the God who created us, which then tells us so much about ourselves and about our world and our existence and, and, and how we should live. But unfortunately, we believe in this world. I mean, we live in this world. We live in this world that believes that everything that exists is the result of a cosmic accident. 
Think about that. Even if, you know, you, you, know, you, you were going to say, you know, I, I'm going to treat these both as, you know, equally true or equally false. If I just had to choose the one that I think would, 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 would lead to a better world, would it be one in which there was a, a being behind creation, an all-powerful being, a perfectly good being, a perfectly loving being who creates with purpose, is that going to turn out better than a cosmic accident that we still to this day cannot explain? It just happened. If there's purpose in this world, it's whatever you decide, whatever I decide. Whatever people more powerful than us decide, that's the purpose. If there's goodness in this world, it changes. You know, potato, potato. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. It's just, it's fluid. If there's love in this world, again, it's all just self-generated, self-defined. I mean, if you had a choice of which world to live in, I mean, are you going to take your chances with the cosmic accident? But people do. They, they think like, oh, I like this. You know why? Because this frees us from that God. Yeah. Do you know most human beings, I think they say, at least from recorded history, there's been about 14 billion human beings. Do you know the vast majority of those human beings have lived most of their lives freed from that God? In other words, the world we live in today is not this way because, because so many people, the vast majority of people were trying to live as though they were created by a good all-powerful, loving, purposeful God. Oh, they may have paid lip service to this God. But by and large, most people have lived over here. And so, we, we think that, though, it frees us. This frees us. Now we can charge into the future. Because our minds are freezes, you know, freed from all this, this, you know, this, um, you know, religious slavery. But what the Bible tells us, what history tells us, and what's going on right now in our world tells us, is that the more you go towards the cosmic accident, the more you will be enslaved. talked about it before. If, if I don't have a God, one true God, who passes truth to us, that's true because it's true, and over here, then truth becomes whoever is most powerful, whoever can, can force people to accept their truth 
whether they really believe it or not. That's what history shows us. History doesn't show us that when people are freed from the notion of God that they all just come together and say, you know what? We can now treat one another with respect and love. And we will. Oh, they will to an extent until you disagree with them. Until you want to be the one who gets to define what is respect. It's where it ends. And so we, we read this Genesis 1, this powerful message to the ancient Israelites. This beginning of this story, which is, is really the, the history of everything that matters. And just keep in mind, these ancient Israelites, they're like a lot of the ancient people. Yes, they're not, they're not scientific in the modern sense of the word scientific. But don't think that they were just kind of just superstitious. Like they were just like totally oblivious. In fact, what we're going to see right here is that in this creation story, is the foundations for science. Why? Well, you see, what we don't understand, most of us, maybe some of us have to live this way, but in a world when you don't have a lot of the modern conveniences that we have today, where you really have to know how to raise your livestock, and you really have to know when to plant and how much to plant and when to reap, when you really need to know those things, because if you don't, you could starve to death, your entire culture could be wiped out. You're really going to pay attention to cause and effect. We really don't. We don't think about it at all. You go to the store and you buy your food. You don't think about where that food came from. You don't think about all those happy chickens on Happy Chicken Farm, you know, getting ready to come to your dinner table. You don't think about that at all. You just get it, cook it, eat it. If you know, you don't even understand how all this takes place. I mean, that's kind of the big the big debate now is we don't even understand what's in our own food. Why are chickens bigger now than they were 20 years ago? Hey, same way, reason Arnold Schwarzenegger was bigger. It wasn't because they work out. It's because it's a little thing called steroids. You know, we, we, we think like these people just didn't know anything. But they know a ton. And we need to understand that this is being communicated to them first and foremost. And as we talked about on Wednesday night and we talk about all the time, if we're going to understand what the Bible says, we need to understand what the message the Bible was to the original audience. But we also miss things. We miss things because of our time and our language. Like we miss that 
that words that are repeated in here, the word beginning, the word for created, and the word for blessed, they all have the same three Hebrew consonants. For them, that was really powerful, tying together beginning, blessed, and created in a way we we don't even see. We can't even think about because we don't speak Hebrew. Well, maybe some of you do, but pretty sure we don't. So we miss it. But what do they get? Well, they get a very different creation story. A lot of the creation stories that were like developed at that time or, or, or told and retold from these cultures and other cultures, you know, there, there's, there's one that just talks about existence as, as a drudgery. And it talks about how the objective of our lives should be eventually to get off this, this thing of existence and, and, and get beyond it. This is saying no. Existence is a gift. It's a blessing. Totally different worldview. If I think my life is a gift from God, a blessing, totally different from my life is a drudgery. I'm going to live, I'm going to die, I'm going to be reincarnated and do it all over again. It's a totally different worldview. And so we go back to this text and and we look and remember this text is so much about who God is and the first thing that we get is is that this is the God who has always existed. He's always existed. And he's being, he's in this story, like he's being contrasted to other gods. If you, if you, if you, if you read the mythology of, of, of you know, other cultures, their gods all have origins. They all started somehow. Oh, there's some beliefs that have some sense of eternality to them. But in this place where, where the ancient Israelites are, there's always these stories. Notice there's never a story about where God came from. There's no story about how he came to power. In fact, you guys were sort of shouting his name earlier when you were saying Yahweh, Yahweh. His name is I Am. It's a great name. It's a great name because God is not saying, I'm going to prove to you my existence or I'm going to tell you where I'm from. He simply asserts his existence. This is who I am. I am. Unlike any other God. And I want you to also see the other huge distinction. He is not creation. You go, well, that's obvious, right? No, it's not obvious. Even some Christians today want to put out the view of what's called 
pantheism or panentheism of, of God being in creation. No. There's God and there's creation. First, there's God and there's only God. And then he creates. There's a separation. God isn't, you know, in the trees. He's God of the trees, but he's not in the trees. You don't worship the tree as God. We're perfectly okay to worship the God who created the trees. He's always existed. The second thing we get here is that there's nothing that exists except him. And then things exist. He creates out of nothing. By the way, I don't have time to go into all of this. I'm not going to. But I do want to mention, if you think those are crazy thoughts, there are scientific theories, experiments going on to actually talk about how and come to, they actually come to conclusions that we can get something from nothing. But this is telling us God created everything out of nothing. And you go, well, why is that? This isn't, again, a scientific discussion. What this is showing is that God is sovereign over all. He has no rival. You read all the other stories, and it's one God fighting the other God, or one God going against the monsters, or one God going against chaos. No, it's just God. He's just there. And he's sovereign over all. Even before things exist, they obey him. Let there be light. There's light. creates everything out of nothing. This shows us his sovereignty. He's not the winner of a cosmic battle. There's not this drama, this conflict between good and evil, order and chaos, and and hooray, God wins. That's not the story. The story is there is only the one true God. And then he makes everything else. And what you get from this, the way this story is told is that, is that God is purposeful. He's purposeful. Another thing that would have, you know, that was common to these, to these gods that were based on, you know, like the weather gods and things like that is that they were capricious. They would, you know, someday be helping human beings and someday be hurting them. No, this is not saying there's this capricious God who just does whatever he feels like. Having a bad day, take it out on those humans. No. He's purposeful. These aren't random utterances. This is speech that comes from a mind. And the picture that we get with 
how God is creating, how he's creating out of nothing, is that God is in control of everything. There's not one atom, there's not one subatomic particle that's behaving in a way outside of God's power. And then we see that phrase that's repeated four or five times as, as each day is talked about. It then says that God saw it, said it was good. God made everything good. What else could a good God make? He only can create what is good. Well, what do we mean by good? Well, in this story, in this story, when it's talking about what's good, it's talking about what is good in the sense of what, what is good in terms of what nature is. It's talking about what is good in terms of what is for life and even more specifically, what is for human life. It's good because ultimately he's going to be talking about human beings. But it's good because it sets up for, for humans to flourish. Not to scratch out an existence. Not to just get by from day to day. Think about this. You, you think about the ancient Israelites you think about when they're that loose confederation of tribes, and then you think about how even when they're a nation, they're a nation in one of the most difficult places to be a nation. How is that possible? Well, when you have a God that you believe has created all things good, and he's put you in this world and on top of that he's chosen you you walk around with a little different attitude than somebody just hoping if I'm over here in cosmic accident world oh I hope it all works out I hope it's okay I'm gonna make my way I hope people who believe in this God they don't hope. They know. It's different. He made everything good. This is the God who cares. He cares about all of his creation, but he especially cares about, about these human beings that, that he's going to create. But I also want you to see here, and I, you know, I made this statement, this is the basis for science. I want you to see here that the way this is described, the, the way this is described is that God not only like creates, he doesn't only create the stuff, he creates the processes for the stuff to continue. Read that. I know it gets kind of redundant when it says like, you know, every living thing, every fruit, every, you know, seed, whatever. 
And then it talks about, though, after their own kind, that they, they produced seeds. They produced offspring. His world is so good that it is a self-perpetuating world. He didn't have to, you know, come and go, oh, running out of human beings. Bing, 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 got to create some more. No, he, he created in such a way that creation would self-perpetuate. And it wouldn't self-perpetuate randomly. If it self-perpetuated randomly, there would be no basis for science. You know, if, if a married couple in our church, you know, they, they, got, they got married and they're having their first kid, and, you know, we go to the hospital and we look in the little nursery thing and, you know, there's the one with the name and it's just a, you know, bassinet full of tomatoes. That would be a problem. But you know what would be more of a problem? If it didn't shock us. Yeah. Sometimes... Sometimes when human beings get pregnant, they have babies. Sometimes they have tomatoes. Sometimes they have bowling balls. Might feel like that for women. But sometimes they have this, they have that. Just random. There would be no basis for science. Why study anything? It's just random. There's no patterns. It's random. God set up processes. It's not capricious. These human beings are given every opportunity to flourish. They're given the resources and they're given the relationships. And that's the last point. When they're reading this story is that, yeah, God made everything good, but he made human beings especially good. If you just look at how much is devoted to just the creation of human beings, as opposed to the rest, you can see this is the emphasis. God made human beings especially good. In the previous sections, it talks about God said, God said. Here, it says God said to them. He said to them. The personal God. There seems to be like, like just two big categories. God, everything he creates. But in creation, there seems to be another category. Human beings. And he has a special care. So we see God is, God is not some just power. He's not just some movement, some spirit. A personal God creating for personal relationship. It says he created them in his image. And I love the fact that it says he created them in his image. He didn't create just the male in his image. He didn't create just the female in his image. 
He created them in His image. I don't think we think about that enough. That, that, that the picture that we're given of the image of God here in Genesis 1 is not thought of as each independent individual human being. But it is us together. Especially when we're in right relationship with one another. We see this God who he, he establishes creation and you, it's almost, you know, what the picture seems to be is he's, he's doing everything. He's making it all ready for humanity to have a home. And again, if God was like me and how I make things when I don't read the instructions, it's a lot of trial and error. It's like, let there be light. Okay, now let there be human beings. Oh, yeah. Didn't work out well. All right, well, let me try it again. You know, you know and, and I might try, you know, 57 million different times and finally realize, hmm, these human beings, they need certain things. They need that oxygen stuff. They need, you know, food, water. Yeah, okay. I better get it in order. Well, thankfully, God's not me. He got it right the first time. But what's he doing? He's creating home. He's creating a home for the human beings that will be like the highest of his creation. And again, it's, it's a home that is there for us to flourish for us to thrive. Now, let me just make sure you understand. Creation is just one part of the kingdom purpose. God creating a world in which human beings could flourish is just one part of his kingdom purpose. But make no mistake, it is a part, and it is an important part. creates this place and he creates humanity. So while we don't want to forget the kingdom purpose here, here in this section we, we look at the creation and we look at who God is and we see that there is this eternal God, the only God, the only God. He is the only God mentioned in this. Even when there's temptation, perhaps, to mention other gods. They could have used, you know, all these things. They could have shown how powerful God was by, by he conquered all these other gods. No. Those other gods don't exist. There's only one God. But this eternal God, the only God, the creator, he creates with purpose. The whole idea of road to the kingdom is we want to know what God's ultimate purpose is. But we see here at the beginning he's, he's a purposeful God. This eternal God, this only God, He creates all that is good. He creates all that is good. 
And he creates it so that it can continue to produce what is good. This eternal God, this only God, he cares for his creation, but he especially cares for humanity. And this eternal God, this only God, he wants a good relationship with humanity. If you're thinking like, whoa, what went wrong? Well, two Sundays from now, we'll talk about what went wrong and what went horribly wrong. But here, we get to, we get to be before sin enters the world. We get to see how God designed the world, how he created the world, why he created it, what it reveals about, about who he is. And we get to see this all-powerful, all-knowing, loving God, this perfectly good God. And you can start trying to understand the kingdom when you would think like, well, why would he have created us? And understanding why he created us, how should that affect who we are and how we live? I'll give you three quick thoughts. He created us for his glory. What does his glory mean? His glory means his presence, the revelation of who God is. The second thing, he created us for love. He created us as an, as an expression of his love, and he created us for love so that we would truly know and truly experience his love in how we, in how we relate to one another. And thirdly, which is really a combination of the two, is what is God doing ultimately? Well, we've said he's creating the kingdom. And he's created us for the kingdom of his glorious love. That's why he created us. You're created for the kingdom. Something's gone wrong along the way. But thank God, literally, through Jesus Christ, he made things right. And so we do something that we don't do a lot. We just spend some time thinking about who God is, the God who created us. We don't just retreat behind a word, he's the creator. But we look more closely and we understand that this eternal God, the only God, the creator God, the one who's above all that we are, that he created us with intention and his intention is good.